I appreciate that. Thank you. I knew, I knew there was something special about this congregation about a month ago. Uh, it seemed like in the last 30 days, this is zero exaggeration, um, being at the off season and being able to get in and COVID slowly backing off, being able to get out in the community a little bit more. I bet in the last 30 days, I feel like I've met a hundred people from this congregation. Hey coach, I know you're gonna be at Northview this weekend. I said, my, this, this church is all over the place. I couldn't go anywhere without someone telling me, coach, I'm here, you're at Northview. In fact, <clears throat> I had two people wake up who don't even live in Indianapolis, never lived in Indianapolis, text me today saying, Frank, I heard you're preaching at uh, Northview this weekend. We're gonna tune in online. People from other states just hearing it. So I don't know what's going on here, but it's crazy. I've really enjoyed getting to know your pastor. Um, for the last three years, we've run into each other a number of times. Last year, I asked him to come over to our house, you know, and we did the interview for the, the online thing that we did here last year in May. That was a special time. You know, we had a, a long chance to talk, and for me just to hear more of his heart, um, that, that was special. So um, thank you for the opportunity. I, I don't take this lightly. Um, you know, it's a big deal to me to, to come up before a congregation on a, on a weekend. Uh, this is a special moment. I mean, just with everything I've been through in my life, this is, this, I just want you to know how much of a privilege this is today. I wanted to just ask the question that, and it was kind of already asked about who wants to make a difference, kind of in line with that, is if I ask the question, who desires to be more courageous? You know, my, my guess is, you know, most of us would raise our hand. And I'm not talking about the kind of courage that's false bravado. I'm talking about real courage. You know, sometimes real courage looks different at different times. Sometimes real courage is up front and speaking up and standing up for somebody or standing up for the Lord and being loud and obnoxious about certain things. But then other times courage is being quiet and keeping our mouth closed and being humble and just stay the course. That's real courage as well. And so as I've gone through my life, and just as a, as a Christian, whether it's been as a husband, as a father, as a football player, as a football coach, this has always been one of my prayers. Lord, help me to be a courageous man of God, and help me to understand what that, look, what that looks like at different times and at different seasons in my life. And because it can look so many different ways, when I think about famous stories of courage, we all, I, we all probably could give one. We know someone, you know someone in your life who is extremely courageous, like they inspire you, right? And I'm just like you. I, I could tell you, it starts with my wife, but the list is a long list of other people who really inspire me. But there's one story about courage, actually about a pastor that I read a long time ago that I've never forgotten, and I always think about it. And it's a story about a, a preacher by the name of Peter Cartwright. And one Sunday, he's getting ready to get up and preach, and he's told by the elders and deacons in the church that the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson, was gonna be in the congregation. And so, because Peter Cartwright had the reputation for being very bold and in your face, 
because the president of the United States was going to be in the congregation, they told Peter Cartwright, the leaders of the church told him, hey, uh, pastor, you should probably tone it down today since the president of the United States is going to be in the congregation. So Peter Cartwright got up to preach that Sunday, and very early in the sermon, as the story goes, he said, it's been brought to my attention that President Andrew Jackson is in the congregation. And I've been told to keep my remarks guarded and unoffensive. He said, what I have to say to the President of the United States is this, if you do not repent of your sin, you will go to hell. <laughs> I mean, right, hardly guarded and unoffensive. Now, we don't know what the president's reaction was that day or whether he became a Christian that day, although we do know from history, at least Andrew Jackson did profess to be a very strong Christian. Don't know when that happened. But as the story goes, after the service was over, the president sought out the preacher. And when he came face to face to him, he extended his hand to him and he said, sir, if I had an army of men like you, I could conquer the world because he recognized that the preacher was a man of courage. What is it, what is it in a person, right? Whether it's that kind of courage or the kind of courage just to be humble and quiet and stay the course and be behind the scenes, what is it that gives you the courage to do that? And so today, I wanted to share with you three pillars of courage that come from God's word, that come from the book of Joshua, chapter one. These are three pillars that I've been studying and trying to live out and trying to understand for literally 30 years. For 30 years, I have been meditating on, asking God to help me understand what this means, asking God to help me to live this out in my life, and I wanted to share those with you. Now, these three pillars, right, to be courageous, they're not, it's not an exhaustive list. There's other things, obviously, that we're not mentioning here. We're mentioning three that are found in this passage. And although it's not exhaustive, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think these are three of the most powerful principles that we can find in Scripture about how to live a courageous life. And the first one, well, as we come to the book of Joshua, it would probably be helpful and important to just kind of set the context just a little bit. Really, the whole story behind the story to get to Joshua 1 is a fascinating, fascinating story. But for the sake of time, I'm going to just kind of keep it brief. But you remember Joshua, when we come to the book of Joshua, Joshua was Moses' right-hand man for 40 years. Moses, the great leader of the Israelites, led him out, you know, out of Egypt through the Red Sea into the desert. They're going to the promised land. They get over to the promised land. And now they're supposed to go in and take the promised land. And but the problem is, uh, you know, it's going to be a tough fight. So what they do, I can relate to this. They sent in 12 scouts or spies, as they called them. And it was like a football scouting report. I'm used to reading football scouting reports. And let me just translate um, what the scouting report was when they sent the spies in to look at the battle that they were going to have to fight. And let me put it in football language. The, the, the scouts came back and said, their offense is unbelievable. They're big. Their, their offensive linemen are huge. We got no chance. Their defensive line is bigger and stronger than anything we've seen. You should see their stadium. Man, they got the home field advantage. Their walls are fortified. We're, we got no chance. Man, the crowd noise is in their favor. We, we can't win this. We can't win this game. We can't win this battle. And so they decided to take a vote on whether or not to go play, even play the game. 
And of course, the vote was 10 to 2 not to go in and battle the Canaanites. Now, keep in mind, in the context of this, God, the same God who parted the Red Sea, guess what? He told them, I'm gonna be with you, so go in and fight. And now they're taking a vote, okay? So, probably not, probably not the most courageous thing. Okay, but, so they take a vote, and it's 10 to two, and of course, Joshua is one of the two that says, let's go in and fight. You know, you might remember the other one was Caleb. But they're outvoted, so they don't go in and fight. They go back in the desert for 40 more years. That whole generation, right, dies off, and now it's 40, when we get to Joshua chapter one, it's 40 years later, Moses is dead, Joshua's the new leader, and guess what? This is like deja vu. They're there at the same spot with the same decision to make. And it's here that God comes, it's here that God comes to Joshua and says these words. And here's the first pillar. I'm gonna just read the first three verses of Joshua 1 and then jump down to verse 6. And I want you to listen, I want you to listen for the first pillar of courage in this passage. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Now down to verse six. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. So the first pillar, which is very clear there, it's very clear, it doesn't say it like we might think, but here it is, that Joshua had a clear assignment from God. That's the first pillar. If we wanna be courageous, we have to have a clear assignment from God. Now, it, it probably is pretty easy for us if we think about it for a minute to make the connection, right? To make the connection of understanding how important it is that when I know what I'm called to do, it gives me, it gives me more courage. Let me give you an example vocationally, right? Like in normal everyday life. When I was uh, younger, my vocation was I was a football player. Your vocation is something different than that, but I was a quarterback in the NFL for 14 years. And so um, when, I, when you would take the snap from center, you would drop back in the pocket. And as you drop back in the pocket, guess what's happening? There's defenders on the other side of the ball that are coming full speed. And what are they trying to do? They are trying to inflict as much bodily harm <laughs> on the quarterback. Like, they take great pleasure in hurting the quarterback. And you're... As the quarterback, you're drawing all the attention because you have the ball in your hands. So, and, and guess what? Guess what I'm doing back here in the pocket? I'm not even looking at him. I'm not even looking at the guys who are trying to take off my head. Why is that? Because I, there was a play that was called. I, I got to execute the play. I have a clear assignment. 
guess what? Those guys up there, they got an assignment too. I'm gonna trust that they're gonna do their job. I gotta do my job together as a body. We gotta each work together, lock arms, do our thing as a family, as a church, as a football team, in the workplace, whatever it is. We, we, we join people with like mind and like vision. We call a play. We focus on what we have to do. And then we have the courage to carry it out. It never said it was gonna be easy. There, are, there is an enemy, as we were saying. Hey, we, we sing our praises even in the face of the enemy, right? Fear cannot live in the, you know, the, the, the fear cannot live when we're singing God's praises. So what we're doing, it's not easy as Christians. It's not easy as a quarterback. It's not easy as a husband. It's not easy as a father. It's not always easy to do the right thing. But one thing I'm learning, at least I'm continuing to learn, is that, but man, if I lock in, if I lock in and I know what I'm called to do, Man, that's a big step in the right direction. Man, that's helpful. That's why with the Colts, like our football players are like really smart guys. Like you take the average IQ of our team, it's off the, it's high. Really smart players. I tell the guys this all the time. My job as a coach is 99% of what we as coaches tell our players, they already know. They already know. They know the plays. They know what the assignment is, and what are, we, what are we even doing? I'm reminding them, reminding them over and over and over again, this is what we're called to do. Why is that? It's not hard, because we have this propensity to just drift off and all of a sudden lose focus. Uh, I think back to how easy, there's a story I can think of when I was in high school. Um, I played basketball. And on our basketball team, I was the center. So one night, we're out playing a, a high school basketball game, much like any basketball game you've probably seen. But back in those days, there was still a jump ball. And we go in at halftime, and it's a close game. Coach gives the pep talk. We come out to start the second half. And uh, back in those days, there was still a jump ball at the second half. So I I'm the center. I lost the tip. So our team comes back here to play defense. They make a, a few quick passes and they scored a goal. Was the center, it was now my job to get the ball, inbounds it to our point guard, and I started running down the right side of the court. And, and over here in the bleachers in the first row, the cheerleaders were sitting. And I happened to be dating one of them. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, this is gonna be a good time for us to make eye contact and uh, have a real intimate gaze and let her see her man out here doing his thing. So I look over at her and she looks at me and then the next thing I know, I was interrupted. Someone had the audacity to yell my name and distract me from that moment and it was my teammate who was over here. He was dribbling the ball up. Two defenders had come down and they trapped him. He picked up his dribble, he had nowhere to go. The rest of our team was at the other end of the court setting up our offense. I was the only guy close by because I had inbounds the ball. So no problem, I was distracted. I turn back here, hey Frank, Frank, okay, I gotta get in a passing lane, so I move back in this direction, and he gave me a perfect bounce pass, and I took about two or three dribbles, <laughs> and I went up for a layup at the wrong basket. <laughs> this is a true story, okay? But thankfully, if you ever saw me, well, you would, you're not old enough to see me play football, but I'm right-handed, so, uh, I was never very good shooting basketball with my left hand, but I actually missed the layup at the wrong basket. 
But like you, like you, my parents taught me a very valuable lesson when I was young. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. So I actually got the rebound and I put the second one in. True story. To make, to make matters worse, and I'm full disclosure, we lost the game by one point, okay? True story, I can't, you can't make that stuff up, but it's true. And so what's the point? Why am I telling you that? Because basketball is not a really hard game to understand. You shoot at this goal, and then you defend this goal. So how could I make that silly of a mistake? It's easy, I got distracted. It's a very clear assignment, but we can easily let things distract us. So, here we are, Where, where's the close, where's the close of this first point? That we, that we have this, the first pillar of courage. I wanna be more courageous. I gotta have a clear assignment, but come on coach. I mean, God spoke to Joshua and said, hey Joshua, this is God you know, calling Joshua at a very unique time period right in life where God was audibly speaking to the prophets of old. right? I'm not saying that God couldn't do that today. Maybe he does. I don't know if he does that, but I'm not aware, and I'm not aware that he does that audibly like he was in these specific times during Bible times, but he audibly spoke to him and said, hey Joshua, here's what I want you to do. So let's ask, let's ask the $64,000 question, let's say, let's address the elephant in the room, so to speak. Well, what if I'm not that sure? What if I don't know what God's called me to do? How am I supposed to know that? I mean, it's not that easy. There's a lot of things I could do. I mean, what, somebody give me an answer. Well, I can tell you this, although I don't know if God audibly speaks to us anymore, I. I'm 100% sure and have faith and belief that this is God's word and that this is the living word. This book is unlike any other book. And Jesus, uh, God's one and only son, became flesh and the word dwelt among us and, and, and it's full of life and truth. Everything in this word is, is God-breathed. And so I can read this book and understand by faith and accept by faith that this is like very close to, similar to God speaking to Joshua. And this is the Lord speaking to us as people. This is not just another book. This is God's word. And in here, guess what? I really believe that we can walk out of here this evening and we can know this. What is my clear assignment? That there's a lot of things that we're called to do. Like we said them before, some of us are husbands, fathers. We have different vocations that we're in. But I believe there's one overarching assignment that we're all given, and it's very simple. They asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Sum it all up for us. What's the deal? What's the greatest and the most commandment? And Jesus said, it's this. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second commandment is likened unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So guess what? It takes courage to love people. It takes courage to love God in all kinds of circumstances. As your pastors were getting up here saying, we all know the reality of life. Some of us are in the valley, some of us are on a mountaintop right now. And you know, just keep going and we're gonna hit both of them multiple times in our life. It takes courage to love God. It takes courage to love other people through all those things. 
But you know what? I don't have to wake up every morning wondering if that's what I'm called to do. I literally try to tell myself every day, that is my mission in life. Love God and love other people. I go to work, I, I love our guys. I tell them that. I mean, I told them I was on a meeting with a Zoom meeting with a couple players the other day. I told them that. I said, I love you guys, right? That's, that's what we're called to do. It's not just interact and do a job. It's, it's more than that. We do do jobs. We have assignments in those regards. Now, what about the times in life when we get to that fork in the road? I was at one of those forks in the roads. I played 14 years in the NFL. And then I was trying to decide do I go full-time ministry or do I go into coaching? I don't know. I didn't know the answer. God, where are you calling me? I, I, I was consulting with my pastor at the time, and you, know, and you would think my pastor would just say, hey, just Frank, go into full-time ministry. But he didn't say that. He said, Frank, the fork in the road is you're putting too much pressure on you like there's a right and a wrong answer. Focus on this. Focus on loving God and loving other people, and whichever way you go, you're good. And it just freed me up to understand that, you know what, I don't have it all figured out right now. And so I ended up going full-time ministry for a while. I kind of thought I wanted to coach, but I wasn't sure. I knew I loved God and wanted to serve him in ways. And then, and then I went off that path, it seemed like, and then I started coaching. And I don't know how it all worked, but the, what's the unifying principle of all that? There were seasons in life, but what never changed was my mission in life, to love God and to love other people. And so I freed me up as a Christian to be able to do whatever God called me to do at different seasons in my life. I chose when my children, our three daughters were younger, part of the reason that I didn't want to coach was I didn't want to work 100 hours, 100 plus hours, and not be able to go to swim meets and not be able to do homework with the girls. I wanted to be able to do that. So I made a decision to do something you know, in ministry that had a lot of great things to it. But then as the girls got older and I felt like I could do, go into coaching, then I took that step. But the universal thing was the clear assignment to love God and to love other people. So that's the first pillar. Now the second two are gonna be more brief, but more brief, but I hope, I hope equally as impactful and equally important for us to understand. The second pillar, if we go to verse five and verse nine, says this, in verse five, God's still here speaking to Joshua, and he says, hey Joshua, he actually didn't say that. <laughs> He's continuing, I'm just trying to build up to verse five, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Joshua had the assurance of God's presence with him. He had the, did you, that is so powerful. He was Moses' aid for 40 years. And what did he say there? Just as I was with Moses, part the Red Sea, water from the rock, shoes never wore out, manna in the desert, all kinds of stuff. Just as I was with Moses, I'm gonna be with you. You think we can go in and fight this and win this game? Do you think we can fight this battle? Yeah, God is with me. God is with me. He's promised me this. We have the assurance of God's presence. I don't know this. I've never done the actual count 
Um, Pastor Steve mentioned went to seminary, so I've read and studied the Bible quite a bit over the years. Let's call this, if you will, an educated guess. Maybe the promise in God's word that is given the most, I'm not saying it's the most important, but it may be given the most from Genesis to Revelation is this. God speaking to his people saying this, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Romans 8, I love the way Romans 8 summarizes it, maybe my favorite place, referred to when we were singing and worshiping, right? That nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is found through Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing, nothing, right? That gives me courage. That gives me a whole lot of courage. I mean, it gives me this courage that, quite honestly, the world can't ever understand, ever, 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 that kind of courage. The God of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, promises that he will be with us always, in the valleys, on the mountaintops. But the context, I wanna tell you a story that I think is important to help us understand what it means and what it doesn't mean about God being with us. When my daughters, they're all older now, when they were younger, they were afraid of the dark. And so putting them in bed at night was a little bit of a hard deal. And so I'm not saying this is parenting manual. This is not a parenting manual. I don't know the answers of parenting. I haven't figured it out yet. And, um, but this was my answer when under pressure, okay? When they would start screaming that they were afraid of the dark, I tried a lot of things, but what I usually ended up doing was I would go back into the room and I would just sit there with them. I might pray with them again briefly to sound spiritual, but it was true, I, I would do that. Um, I might talk to them for a little bit, but most of the time I didn't even do that. Most of the time, what did I do? I just walked in there and sat and was quiet, quiet voices. Let's go to sleep. Dad is here in the room with you. I'll beat up all the bad guys that come into the room. You don't have to worry about the monsters. I got your back, right? And, you know, and, and now they can sleep. Why is that? Because they had the assurance of their father's presence in the room with them, right? And in the same way, God gives us that assurance. But guess what? The one thing that I intentionally didn't tell you was when I would go in the room, the one thing I didn't do was I didn't turn on the light. Most of the time. Only in desperate situations would I do that. <laughs> but I didn't take away what they were afraid of. And so I wanna remind us, right, that God being with us, that God never leaving us or forsaking us, sometimes the light, he will turn the light on and he will take away and he will heal us. He does that. There's no doubt about it in my mind. He heals relationships, he heals us physically. Things happen miraculously that we can't even think or explain in ways that we can't think or explain amazing things, sometimes ordinary, everyday things. God works in so many amazing ways, it's incredible, right? But then there's other times where he leaves the light off. And he may only leave it off for a season, maybe he wants to leave it off for another week, another month, another year, sometimes it's many years. And maybe that particular light won't ever come on. But his promise is that he will be with me. <laughs> and for me, that's enough. 
That's enough. That's enough to be courageous. That's enough to be courageous. The third pillar, the third pillar of courage, verse eight, says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Essentially what God is telling Joshua right here, he's saying, meditate on my word day and night, be careful to do everything written in it. He's saying, hey, trust in my promises. He's saying, meditate on my word. Well, in that time, in that context, if he, if he was speaking to Joshua, which he was, and he's saying, meditate on my word, that would have been this right here. At that point in time, at that point in Joshua's life, that would have been Genesis through Deuteronomy, right there, okay? and. You know what the primary promise in that, well, one of the primary promises in that section of the Bible is? I'm gonna give you the land. I promised you a land and I'm gonna give it to you. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So that's why he's telling Joshua, hey Joshua, read this thing, meditate on it. Why, because I'm God, I promised you over, I promised your forefathers, I'm giving you this land. I promised, I told them, hey, leave this land and go to this land, forsake this, go here. This is my destiny for you. This is my purpose for you. I will be with you in this journey. No one will be able to stand up against you. I will give you every place where you set your foot, Joshua. Trust in my promises. And I really believe, and I've really experienced that that has to be true for me because I'm not always as strong and as courageous as I wanna be, that like, the players that, when I was a player, and like the players that we coach now, need to be reminded of the game plan, need to be reminded of the assignments, I need to be reminded. And once a week, hearing it from Pastor Steve or the other pastors is amazing and great, that's primary, that's center in God's plan, right, the master install plan, but then we're called to do some additional work ourselves, right? I can't have the players just come in once a week and hear this plan and then show up Sunday and think it's all gonna go well. I need them to do a little, a little work on their own, right? And I, I really, you know, I'm not trying to make that the exact same, but they're, it, they're, it's not that far apart. It's not that far apart. So I'm really, I really wanna encourage and challenge, challenge us right? Meditate on his word. There's so many promises in here that are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ, our Lord. If we meditate on them, they give us strength and courage. Let me close with this story to, uh, well, one other short story after this one. But <laughs> now, it's not, now, now you sound like the, the, the team, the last one I keep going. Okay, so, but this illustrates a very important point of what we're trying to make here about meditating on, on God's word. So in 19, I played for the Buffalo Bills for 10 years and then, and then I went to play for the Carolina Panthers in 1995. So this is a long time ago. And um, my wife and I, my wife Linda and I started a Bible study in our neighborhood. Just a neighborhood Bible study, just started on our own. No players, it was just people in the neighborhood, people we had met. Uh, probably half of them had never been to a Bible study, 
and maybe half of them had been to a, a couple Bible studies. And there were about seven or eight couples. And so what, because some of them were new to Bible study, we decided that we had to do a little icebreaker for the first Bible study. So we picked this, uh, my, Linda and I mutually said, well, we chose Rhonda. And so I, we called her up and I said, hey, Rhonda, I need to stop over to your house and, and go through something with you for this first Bible study. She agreed. So the next day, I drove over to her house and uh, at around lunchtime, and her kids are running around playing, and I walked into her house, and I had with me a football game plan from that season. And I put it out on the table, on the kitchen table, and I said, before we start, let me just ask you, Rhonda, how, I know a lot of women know a lot about football. It's amazing, you know, I mean, a lot. I said, but how much do you know about football? And like Rhonda knew zero about football. I'm like, oh man, maybe we picked the wrong person. But it was too late to change. We had to go with it. So I took 15 minutes and started going over some of the basics, football 101 with Rhonda. And then I took 45 minutes and I went over two specific plays in the game plan. And I coached her up like she was the quarterback of the team. And I mean, I told her, here's how you call the play. Here's how you run it. And we interacted. As I left, after an hour, I said, every day for the next six days, I'm gonna call you up on the phone and for five minutes, maybe 10 minutes a day, we're just gonna go back over this. So I did that for the next six days. So fast forward to that Bible study. We're all sitting in a circle and I had an easel up front and the first thing I did was I passed around a copy of the game plan, and I, a football game plan, and I said, hey, I want everyone to take a look at this and then in about two to three minutes, I'm gonna collect it. And so I did it, and as I'm doing that, everybody's looking at it, and they're kind of chuckling, like, hey, I thought we'd come into Bible study, not football seminars, you know? But so sure enough, after two or three minutes, I collected it, and then I said, who can tell me what's the first play we're gonna run on third to seven to 10? Of course, nobody says anything, but at just the right time, Rhonda slips up her hand. She says, uh, I'll give it a shot. Uh, split right zoom, 56 Y sale, X dagger, fullback flat. I mean, it was just like she was a quarterback in an NFL huddle. She, she sounded, it sounded perfect. And everybody's kind of like freaking out, like, does this woman have a photographic memory or something? Or maybe her dad was a coach. But the best part was the next, the next question. I said, would anyone care to come up here and draw this up and tell us what it looks like? And silence. Rhonda, at just the right time, man, she played it right. She got up out of her seat. She came up and she drawed up the X's and the O's. She said, verses cover three, I'll read Y. She started, versus man. She talked through the whole play, just a condensed version of it. And now, you should have seen the look on everybody's face, <laughs> especially her husband's face. <laughs> because her husband knew that she didn't know anything about football. <laughs> and we had the best laugh. It was a great icebreaker. But I said, you know what the point of this is? A week ago, I got together with Rhonda and she didn't know anything about football. I spent an hour with her a week ago and then five to 10 minutes a day and she was able to pull this off on you tonight. Now, I understand that Rhonda doesn't understand everything that she said. <laughs> Probably very little. But I promise you this, she's made progress. She's made progress. And I said, if I can do that with Rhonda, and I'm a limited teacher, imagine what God can do by the power of the Holy Spirit, who's not limited in any way to teach and instruct us according to God's plan for our life. It's, there, there are no 
they're limitless. He can take a child and teach a child something that is so deep and profound. It's not by IQ, it's not by what grade, you know, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the heart and the passion to know God, to intimately know God deeply and just come to his word with that hunger to know him more. And he can enlighten the truth of his word to our hearts more. Will we understand, just like Rondo, are we gonna understand everything we read? No, I promise you we won't. I still don't understand everything I read. But I'll tell you what, I've made progress. I've made a lot of progress. And, and, and I promise you, you'll make progress too if we'll just commit. And so I wanna challenge us. I wanna pay something forward. I wanna pay something forward that happened to me 30 years ago. And I don't know why this hit me earlier today, but it hit me and you know, today and tomorrow will be over and who knows what'll ever happen. If Pastor Steve will have me back next year, maybe one day somebody will be able to say something to me about this, maybe not. It's in God's hands, I trust that. But here's what I wanna pay forward from 30 years ago. 30 years ago I was playing for the Buffalo Bills or 30 some years ago, yeah, 30 years ago I was playing for the Buffalo Bills. And came from a family, you know, and I was thinking, as I was thinking about the message today, this afternoon, preparing, for some reason my mind was going back to my mom, who I lost a few years ago. And, um, you know, and just the impact that she's had on my life, most amazing Christian person I've ever known. Um, and, but there was a time early on where she was this amazing person, Christian, but had really never really just didn't, never really read God's word. And, and I, I was at a point in my journey where I was hungering for God's word and reading it a lot. And I was trying to encourage her to read the Bible. And, you know, and, and she just never did that at that point in her life. So I'm playing for the Bills. We're, going, we're playing a game on a Sunday, so uh, uh, either Sunday morning or Saturday night, whenever our chapel service was, I don't remember. I go into chapel. And there's a guest speaker for the chapel. And he's speaking on the importance of being in the word. And the message really hits, hits home with me. I mean, really impactful, really a great message. So I stayed after the, you know, most times after chapel, everybody just scatters because you gotta go. You gotta go to the next deal. I stayed after to talk to this pastor. And I said, I really got this burden on my heart. I really got this burden on my heart. You know, I've been talking to my mom about being in the Word. She's the most amazing person, Christian, I know, but I just want her to know the joy of reading God's Word and to experience that joy like, like I've been experiencing for the last number of years of my life. But it's just not happening. And he, and he said to me, Frank, I'm gonna pray for your mom every day. And that was it, and we left. Well, I didn't think much about it, but about 13 months later, it's the next season. It's the next season, and 13 months later, and um, my mom calls me that week and tells me, Frank, I just finished reading the Bible in a year. And she never told me why she was doing it. She just did it. Vintage, my mom. Vintage, <laughs> vintage her, right? Don't make a show of it. Wants it to be real. Just gonna do it and not say anything to anybody. The next week, she calls me and tells me that. The next week, I go, we're playing another game, we go to chapel, and guess who's the guest speaker? The guy from a year before. After the, service is, after the chapel service is over, I'm gonna walk up and I'm gonna tell him, hey, your prayer must have worked. 
That was a powerful prayer. Can I tell you to pray for something else? (laughs) And I walked up to him, unprovoked. He didn't even hesitate. He said, Frank, I've prayed for your mom every single day since last year. I said, you're not going to believe this. She just called me this week. I didn't know he was the guest speaker this week. And she had just, I mean, it timed out so that it was just about a year. And she had just, I mean, that amazing. So here's my commitment to you as a church. You know, this, God's word is so amazing to me and how it's impacted, how it impacts our lives as Christians that I'm just gonna pray that in the next year, there's people in this church that would really dive into God's word in a new and a fresh way. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's reading it through in a year, whatever it is, just just a fresh new commitment to be in God's word. My suggestion, something that I experienced, I'll just tell you what I did when I started early on. If you've never read the Bible, I kind of kept it simple and read the New Testament. And I didn't necessarily read it in order. So um, this is a just helpful suggestion. I started reading some of the short letters, you know, some, some of the short epistles, you know, Philippians and Colossians and Galatians, you know, that were 15 minute reads, 20 minute reads. And I wasn't reading it just to check the box. Like I was reading it, I wish I could show you this, but like I was highlighting things, writing things in the margin. Like I wasn't just hurrying through it. I wanted to grow and understand it. So I would pray, God help me to do that. And then just started picking through it. And the next thing you know, I was almost the whole way through the Bible and it didn't even seem like I was doing that because it was something special. So, So that's gonna be my prayer. That for the, you know, if pastor will have me back next year, that, um, that I wanna be able to come back here maybe in a year and just tell you that, that I'm, I'm gonna pray. I've never said that to a church before, not that that means anything, but that just felt like the burden in my heart today. And I just hope, I hope that someone will hear that, even if it's one person, and take that to heart. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time. I thank you for the men, women, and children that are here. Thank you for Pastor Steve and his staff for this church. And Lord, I do pray that you would lead us and guide us in our daily lives. I pray that you would strengthen us with all might and power that comes from an intimate relationship with you. I pray that you would make us more courageous men and women of faith and all the different ways that that looks. Lord, surprise us, Lord, I pray, with how that looks. Surprise us. I pray you give us that clear assignment. I pray if there's someone here today that has never made that first step of faith towards a relationship with Christ, I I pray today would be that day. Lord, your word says to come to you in faith and believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today would take that first step. And Lord, I also pray that there might be some who would renew a commitment to be in your word, to meditate on it, day and night. 
And I pray that you would honor that, Lord. That you would honor that in their hearts, honor it in their families' lives in ways that we don't even understand. Uh, give us the courage, Lord, to face the ups and downs that we experience in life. Help us to know that you are with us always, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And help us to encourage one another in this walk. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.